You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I talk with Chris Buetti about entrepreneurship, side hustles, and how you can make money using social media. Chris worked as a data engineer at the NBA before becoming a full time entrepreneur as the co founder and head of technology and software engineering at Digital Presence. I know people are always looking for new side hustles and new way to make more money so that they can invest more in the markets or in real estate. And so I really enjoy this conversation with Chris because he explains how you can do that and how if you can just be creative, you can find different ways to make money, even on social media. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Chris Buetti. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I have Chris Buetti. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You and I connected because you wrote an article on Medium that went pretty viral. And after I read it, I looked into your background a bit more and I knew I wanted to have you on the show. You have an interesting background, so let's start there. What's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Actually, that Medium article that you're referring to uh, basically blossomed my career that I'm in now. So graduated a few years ago, just like most people, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. And I had worked at some big corporations, Dish Network, NBC, the NBA. But I was always doing something. I had some side hustle or something like that, where I was using social media for some passive income or or actively going out there and, and finding a way to make money. And it actually ended up becoming my full-time job. So all these little side hustles that I had, I really perfected them, automated a lot of them, and wrote about them. And like you mentioned, one went kind of viral, which really helped my business and, and my brand. And I said, you know what? I, I think I can make a living out of this. So I, I called out some buddies from school and I said, hey, you want to uh, put your nine to fives with me? And uh, and I got some yeses and, and that's where we are now. And right now we're uh, operating a little social media marketing company and, and doing pretty well. We'll definitely dive into that more later in the conversation. But first, after you graduated school, you got into investment banking in New York City. And getting into investment banking is often considered very difficult to do. So how were you able to land that position, specifically with a degree in math, not finance, and no CFA designation? Right. Well, so I actually only did internships in finance. Most of my jobs after college when I graduated, I actually had a degree were in the data science, data engineering background. So it came out of school, just kind of knew some statistics and math and really started at kind of like low-level data analyst positions. But I'm actually a self-taught programmer. And then I got to the point where I worked as a, a Python developer for some major corporations and actually didn't know how to write a single line of code really until the end of my senior year. So I, I only did a couple of internships in finance. In terms of where I got now, it's kind of a weird path. And I think some of the companies that you've worked for, like you mentioned, the MBA, are companies that a lot of people listening to the show would probably want to work for. So how were you able to get in with a company like the MBA? Yeah, it, it's funny. I actually, um, you know, when I was working uh, at NBC, another company that I was, gonna, I was going into thinking I was going to love it, I'm big into entertainment, the entertainment industry. So uh, and I was doing data engineering there. If you're familiar with the subject, it's actually very different than data science. I mean, I came from a math background, which is more data science-y. And, and I 
that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to do machine learning, AI and things like that. And everywhere I went to interview just assumed I wasn't competent enough because I didn't have a master's or a PhD. Uh, it was kind of the first thing they looked at me. They, they said, you know, you're going up against PhDs, you know, basically, why should we even talk to you? And it was, I was, I was really pigeonholed into a, into basically a lower tier before I even walked in the door. And I said to myself, hey, you know, I actually really need to do something that's going to boost my resume. And that's actually how that article was born that we were talking about before. So I said, I'm, I'm going to do data science project and I'm going to write all about it. And I'm going to show everyone how I'm actually benefiting from this and things like that. And, and that was actually my pitch to company. I said, look at this project I did. It's more than your normal data science project. I'm actually going out to dinner for free in New York City tonight. And I sent it as a, an email to someone at the uh, the league, and then they reached back out to me and said, "Wow, this is awesome! You know, we should definitely get you in for an interview." That's actually how I landed there. So, really, the the article where we connected over was the reason I ended up at the NBA because it was actually something I did to boost my resume. I, I had no idea it was going to lead to something completely different in my career. Yeah, that's really cool to hear that one of your side hustles led to a career opportunity. I think that's an important thing to talk about because. A lot of people just do side hustles on the side because it's either they're passionate about it or maybe it gives them a little extra income, but a side hustle could actually help benefit them in their corporate career, even if they don't ever plan on leaving their corporate career. Despite having worked in some of those high profile jobs that a lot of people I think would consider their dream job, you still decided to leave the corporate world and go out on your own to start your own business, which is now called Digital Presence. First off, what does your company do and how hard was it for you to make that decision? It was my dream job, just like you said. From the time I was a little kid, I was like, I'm going to do something with the NBA. I'm going to do something with basketball. So I I really did end up in my dream position. But while I was there, I was basically staring at the clock, waiting for the day to be over so I could go home and work on my side hustle. That's what was on my mind all day. I I wasn't focusing completely on it. And and I said, I don't understand why this has to be a side gig. Why can't this be my full-time job? And I basically decided to, to take the leap and start the company that I'm operating now. So my company, Digital Presence, has a number of different services, but really what we do, it's a little unique. We started off where we just helped people grow their Instagram following. And I did that by deploying a code on someone's account that did things like go around, follow people, unfollow people, like things, comment on things. Nothing new. And there's plenty of bots out there that do that. Um, I tried to add a little bit of a machine learning AI twist to it, but it was kind of similar to what was out there. And we had some success with that, but we pivoted a couple months ago to something I think is a little more unique, something that a lot of other companies are doing. And we are basically doing a lot of web scraping, machine learning, email marketing when it comes to social media. So for example, a brand will come to us and say, say our client is Nike. They're not, maybe one day, but say they are. They'll say, hey, you know, we're about to launch a shoe brand, a new shoe line, and we want to get people interested. So what we'll do is we'll do a ton of market research on Instagram, a ton of web scraping, find people that are interested in this thing. If they have their contact information publicly available, we'll take that and we'll basically give a nice report to Nike with all this information and say, these are the people that are following your competitors. These are the trends they've been looking at. This is how you can contact them and things like that. And then on the other side of it, we um, do influencer marketing where we find people that would be willing to represent a brand and connect them to the brand. And we can do that in a very automated way. I mean, someone can come to me and say, hey, I want someone to wear my new earphone, my new headphones. And I can find them. I can enter some specific criteria. I could say, okay, former athlete, 
Ohio and my process will go out and scrape all of social media and find all the people that fit into this criteria. And then I run some modeling on top of that saying, hey, you want to use this person to represent your brand and not that person that's going to bring based on historical data, it's going to bring you a better return. And amongst those, all of those things, I, I basically listen to a brand, I listen to a client, hear their needs and, and come up with a proposal that involves a little bit of all the solutions that I named and help them grow their following that way instead of the, the older follow, unfollow, family type stuff. Was there a tipping point where you decided that you just had to make a leap? What was that point like? Is Did you hit a certain revenue figure? Did you just believe in the idea enough? Or what, what really made you decide to jump? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually started this business with two buddies from college. And we all had full-time jobs, obviously, when we started it as a, a little side hustle. And one of them was working for a startup in Florida. And that startup folded. And he said to me, Hey, I'll make you a deal. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go find another corporate job. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna see if I can land us some big clients. And if I can, you have to quit your job and join me. And I said, all right, you got a deal. And within a month or two, he had some really big names willing to uh, to give us some money to sign us up for some projects. Um, and I and I just kind of thought about it and I said, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm never gonna do it. I'm just gonna say, oh, you know, if I work a little bit harder, I'll get promoted from data engineer to associate data engineer. And, all these things. And I said, you know, I'm at the NBA, I'm at my dream job, and I'm still, this is what's occupying my mind. You know, this is what I need to do. And if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. And I said, you know, I'll give it a go. I'm going to uphold my end of this promise. And I joined my, my co-founder and, and leaving our jobs and doing this full time. So let's talk a bit more in depth about the Medium article that went viral that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. How did this lead to what has ultimately become digital presence? I have always been doing things on social media. I, I mean, I've never, I haven't necessarily been super successful in my life, but I kind of stepped back and looked at all these people that were making money on social media, getting free things, free dinners. And I said, I, you know, I, I want to be part of that. Personally, I'm not that interesting. So I, I had to come up with a, a little niche that I could portray myself as. And I said, okay, who doesn't like beautiful pictures in New York City? So uh, I started building up the account and I didn't really have a goal in mind. And I said, maybe some restaurant will allow me to to eat for free if I write all about that restaurant. And I reached out to one place and I said, uh, hey, you know, if you let me get for free, I'll write all about your restaurant. I'll give a nice review. And they said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I did it. And I was like, wow, I wonder, I wonder how, how often I could do this. Started reaching out to museums, tours and shows and things like that. And everyone seemed pretty interested. And like I mentioned, I, I'm a self-taught programmer. And, and this is a lot of my motivation to learn how to code with these projects. I really didn't know much. And I said, you know, I'm doing a lot of these things monotonously and, and manually that I don't need to be doing. And I, I was Googling, how can I automate this? And I got it to the point where I was like, I'm going to automate this whole thing. But in doing so and in, in creating basically a self-sustaining robotic Instagram account that was smart enough to uh, do all these things, I learned what data I can get back from these social media things, what I could use that data to predict, what would be interesting to some people, what I could get away with, what these social media platforms are restricted of. And I had all this information and I was kind of, I, I would just talk to it, talk about it to people. And they would say, wow, I can really use that. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make some sense out of it. I'm going to make uh, some products out of it and, and see if it'd be interesting. And, and I tested the market and it was very well received. And I said, okay, I, I better chop on this, this train before it uh, leaves the station and I'm not on it. Been very happy with the results. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. 
Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. Had you always known you wanted to become an entrepreneur at some point? You were just maybe waiting for the right time or for the right idea? Yeah, so I've known I've wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. And I've always had these little projects that I've been doing and these little gigs that I've been doing. And, and everyone knew that. There's a, a story that my dad likes to tell about me to a lot of people that really shows that I was I was going to do something entrepreneurial. So I, I have an older brother and my older brother is very hardworking, but he's very by the book. He's a CPA. And my dad, when I was a little kid, about four years old, he said to me, I need you to help me rake the leaves. And I didn't want to do it. I was a kid. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll make you a deal. When I get home, all these leaves are raked. I'll give you $5. And I was like a little four-year-old kid. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, sounds great. $5. And my dad you know, goes to the store, he gets home and I'm laying on the couch and my older brother is raking the leaves. And he was like, he walked into the back and he said to my brother, he's like, what's going on? Why are you raking the leaves? Like Christopher was supposed to do this. My older brother goes, well, Christopher gave me $3 to rake the leaves. And as a four-year-old, I was able to, to make it. And I was sitting there laying on the couch now with two extra dollars in my pocket, not having to do the job. I always had these little business ideas. I, I started a little company in college called Workbench that didn't work out. I was an, an entrepreneurship minor in college. So it was only uh, a matter of time where you know, I, I finally let this idea take off and, and pursue it full-time. 
That's such a great little story. It's like a, a funny twist on your classic lemonade stand story. Exactly. Yeah. I know from previous conversations that we've had before the show, and then also some of the things you've mentioned throughout the show that you have started this business with a partner or multiple partners. And so I know starting a business with partners is can be difficult, not just because you're starting a new business, which is hard enough in and of itself, but because you're working with other people that are in different positions, they have different opinions, expectations, and even work ethics. So how did you find the right people to start your business with? It's funny. I'm actually uh, one of my business partners was my sweet mate from college from our freshman year. And he didn't know I thought this, but the, since the day I met him, I said, if I ever start a business, I'm going to, it's going to be with this person because I would always come out with these crazy ideas and tell people, you know, it's the best business. I, you know, I have an idea for an app and everyone would laugh or shrug me off or like, yeah, yeah. but he would always be like, okay, when, when do we start? When are we, when are we going to do this? And he was always very interested and we worked very well um, with my, you know, my team because I'm a backend developer, data scientist. Another one of my, business partners is a front-end developer and UX and UI guy. And then the other one is extremely good at sales and, and organization and management. But we all kind of have that business acumen. You're not afraid to get up in front of someone. So we work very well. We have a back-end guy, a front-end guy, and a sales guy. So luckily, we work together very closely. One of them is in Florida. The one I work with closely is actually in Florida. So we do everything digitally, um, even though he's like my best friend. If he were here, we'd probably have killed each other already. So it's good that there's a, a monitor between us two. But yeah, we work very well because we all do different things and we all are responsible for it. Like, it's not like I found another engineer or data scientist and said, let's do this. We all separated ourselves and said, you're doing sales, you're doing front end work, I'm doing back end work. So we're all responsible for our own things and we know who to blame when something goes wrong. And that's really how we've made it work. I think we lucked out in that we all have this unique skill set in that we're not fighting for the same projects. Like when something comes through the pipeline, we know who it's going to. And we can delegate that very easily rather than like saying, oh, I want to get on the sales call. Or like, oh, like if a sales call has to happen, it's going through one of my other, my co-founders. If something happens on the front end, it's going through the other one. If a model needs to be fine-tuned, it's going through me. Um, so I think that's allowed us to work very actively and very efficiently together. Actually, that we're so different has really helped us. And how are you guys able to structure the business? Do you all own one third of the business or how did that work out with you having come up with the idea and then pitched it to other people? Yes. So um, we all own one third. So I, I said to them, hey, let's split this evenly. Uh, so I'll make you guys a deal. They helped me come with a lot of it. I, I can't take all the credit, but I did approach them about the business. And I said, okay, I have an idea. We'll, we'll split it one third each. But I have a guy that I know who would do all of our accounting for us. And if we can offer him maybe a percentage point or two, it comes from you instead of me. I know someone who is willing to be our lawyer. And instead of paying them every time we need a contract, we can offer them a percentage point. And it'll come from the other one of you. I mean, everyone was on board with that. And actually, like I mentioned before, my brother is a CPA accountant very intelligent, uh, very experienced. And we said to him, hey, you know, you do our books, you do our finances, you do our taxes, you make sure we're not going to have the IRS knocking on our door, we'll give you a percentage point. And he was all for that. Um, so we gave him a couple and it came from my business partners. And then the other business partner's dad is a business lawyer. We made the same deal with him. So we did own one third each. Now I own a percent or two more than the other guys. But that's how we really decided to do it. And, and everyone was happy with that deal. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I think a lot of times new startup founders or even just people working on a project together that 
it's a small business. I think people get really hooked on one or two percent here and there, and they really spend a lot of time focusing on that. Where they should really be out there trying to get market validation and really pushing the product or service before they should even be worrying about that. So I think it's right. it's good to hear that you guys kind of took a brush stroke and just said one thirty each. Let's you know really get to work and start building this business. Yeah, I mean before you before you brought that up, I hadn't thought about even thought about that in a long time. We are going through the thought process of raising money, um, talking to investors. And even then, it it hasn't really you know I haven't really said oh I own one third of this business and he owns. No, we're all just so excited about the results and whatever that has to be. Whoever if if someone needs more money, like I'm not even bothered by that. I'm I mean maybe one day I will. You know it doesn't matter to me. I just. I want to make sure the business is doing well. We're all excited. I haven't even thought of a couple percentage points. I don't think my co-founders have either. So uh, we're just happy to be working together. Yeah. And I personally think that's really important. And I think that probably has helped you guys reach success. I don't know if you've spent any time on any of the entrepreneurship type dating sites, if you will. They're not really dating sites, but they connect potential co-founders. And if you ever talk to anybody from those sites, they seem to want to nickel and dime over half a percent, quarter of a percent. And for me, it was just like, and this is on other projects I've worked on in the past. And for me, I'm like, I don't care to that degree. We don't even know if this is going to work. Let's get out there and get validation and then we'll worry about it. Right. And it sounds like you guys did that. And I think that that's been really successful for you guys. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all very much on the same page. Um, I, think, I think we all, again, you know, we're early and maybe this will be different in the end of the, the day, but we're not as focused on money as we are about making something out of this business. At the end of the day, to me, it's not as much about the money as it is about the fact that you're looking at my office right now. I work from home. I have a dog. I'm wearing a t-shirt and sweats. No one can be mad at me for being late to work besides myself. I love the entrepreneur lifestyle. You know, I love the fact that I'm not just slaving away. And, and I thought this would be cliche until I've been in the moment where I would work with a client and they would say things to me like, you made this so much easier for me. Thank you. Like you made my life so much easier for me. And like, at that point, you kind of forget about the money. You're like finding meaning in your work rather than slaving away at your to-do list that your boss is putting on your desk. You're actually like, if you do a good job, you know, clients are happy. People say, I don't care that I just paid you X amount of dollars. You just saved me three weeks worth of work. It's cliche, but it's more meaningful than maybe a hundred dollars more or a thousand dollars more I would have made working for a big corporation where I'm begging my boss for a, a half day off one day. So um, I don't think any of us are super concerned about who is getting more of the dollar than that person right now. We're just making sure um, that we can make this a brand, make this a business because we're all very happy. We're all very, very happy and we don't want that to go away. And when you think of it that way and you're not focused solely on the money, that's when the money will come, right? Exactly. So one of the biggest hurdles that I get from new entrepreneurs or just new side hustlers or just people working on side projects is that they have a hard time coming up with initial capital needed to start a business. How were you able to fund your startup at the beginning while living in one of the most expensive cities in the world? We're completely 100% bootstrapped. So... I lucked out in being that I wanted to start a business and I was an engineer. I think that if you're an engineer and you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, you have no excuse. You have the right tools to build things. So I built 
a program. I, you know, I, I worked with my co-founders and we came up with a program where I coded and yeah, there are server costs and things like that, but nothing that we couldn't fund easily. And then I went out and, and I said, hey, let me run your Instagram account on my thing and pay me X amount of dollars per month. And someone said, yes. We started slowly that way and we really bootstrapped it and, and scaled that way. And then when we, we had made enough money, we were able to quit our jobs and focus on this. So we actually haven't raised a dime. We have $0 in debt. Two out of the three of us are working full-time on digital presence. One is still at his full-time job. We're trying to get him off full-time on digital presence. That may be something we need to raise money for. But if we don't, we're still in the clear. Um, we're completely bootstrapped and no debt. But now that we've, we have the revenue to prove that we know what we're doing, we definitely have a proof of concept. We have over 100 clients right now. Raising money shouldn't be as big of an issue as it would be for someone who doesn't have anything to prove for it. Our biggest hurdle has been that it's a little bit harder, I found, in the tech world to raise money because you don't have physical assets. My business goes under. You can't come and take machinery away from me or, or something like that. It's software that may become, unfortunately, may become obsolete one day or something like that. So the biggest hurdle for me is not being able to operate without the startup capital. We've been able to bootstrap that. It's If we do want to raise money proving that this tech will be worth it, because at the end of the day, everyone can stop using Instagram tomorrow and, and there, I have nothing as collateral to provide back to an investor. So that's been more of a hurdle for me than getting that initial startup funding. What has your process looked like so far? You mentioned earlier in the show that you guys are starting to look at potentially raising capital. What does that journey look like so far? Yeah. So we're actually... Um, looking to do a friends and family raise first. We don't know what that's going to look like. I would say one of our, our few disagreements between the founders are what that's going to look like. But before doing a Series A or anything like that, we want to do a friends and families raise first. We do, we, we've had a couple investors approach us looking to invest and get a chunk of equity out of us. And we just aren't ready yet. We, we're not willing to give up part of our business and things like that. But we are kind of hitting hitting a wall and we're building out basically a whole website, a whole portal, front end, back end that can do a lot of these things automatically. So right now, the way we're operating is we listen to a client, we kind of act as a consultant where people tell us their needs, their struggles, and, and we take that and we go to the back end and we do all these things. And that's, it's good, but it's not scalable, right? I ideally need to be able to, to give someone like a, a portal and say, do what you need to do. Let me know if you have any questions. And that's where I may need to hire some help, you know, pay for some expensive software, things like that. But the good news is the proof of concept is there. I need to do that to service my already existing clients, not people that I think I may have one day. So the idea would be to raise money in a friends and family around, build a stable product, maybe a beta version of a product, get some more proof of concept and then go and, and go to a, maybe an angel investor or something like that and raise Series A. Given that your business is in the social media space, I want to talk a bit about social media strategy when starting a business. Sure. How important is it for a new business to have a good presence across various social media platforms? It's super important nowadays. I would say that not just me being in the social media space, but I think a lot of people my age automatically turn to social media as kind of a, a validation. Like I can say to someone, hey, I was just on this TV show. And one of the first things we do is look up that TV show on social media and see how many followers they have, see how many people are commenting on their posts, talking about them, using their hashtag and things like that. So if you have absolutely no social media presence, I think you're kind of putting yourself 
and a bit of a, a hindrance because people my age do use that as, as validation, which is why I think a lot of these restaurants are so willing to let me eat there if I post about it because then they can turn around and say, you know, look at this huge social media presence that's eating at my restaurant when at the end of the day, I'm no different than the next person. I just happen to have a social media account with a lot of followers to it. I think a business is making a big mistake, if, especially if they're born in the last few years, not making sure they have a social media presence because forget the traffic that you can drive to your website, forget amount of people you can be talking, you can have talking about your product for a second. Just the pure validation, I think is the biggest thing people need. People need to get their minds around because automatically... I look at something on social media, they have millions of followers. I'm just assuming there must be a good product. I was considering going to two museums in New York City a couple of weeks ago with my girlfriend. And actually what I did was I looked at their social media pages and I went to the one that had more followers, that had a nice curated feed. And I said, these people have something to show for it. I'm going to go to this one because I don't know if this other one is going to turn out to be good. But at least this one from a high level looks like it's going to be good. People are going to it. People are following it. Like, And that really made my decision. I think that's the same case for a lot of people. So I think it's very important. What do you think is the best way to build an effective social media strategy I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. I used to be pretty averse to having a big social media personality or an influencer wear your brand or attend your place. I used to be pretty averse to that and saying that was not as important as it is. But I've kind of changed on that. I've kind of flip-flopped on that, seeing the results firsthand. I used to kind of think that was artificial and no one really cared for it until I actually was plugged into it where I kind of tracked people. I I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have someone post about this. I'm going to have someone wear this brand and I'm going to track all the traction this person is bringing. And it's very effective. Someone who has a big following can say, hey, I just went on vacation to Hawaii and I stayed at this resort. And if you go, I recommend you go there. And I've actually done the math. I tracked the data and seeing how many of that person's followers went to that new hotel that followed that hotel on Instagram and things like that. So if you're a no-name, a lot of these big personalities out there are not monetizing a ton, especially as much as they want to be. And then you say, hey, why don't you come stay at my resort? Why don't you come use my product? And, And if you post about it, you don't have to pay me. And more than you think are willing to do that. It brings a lot of traction. So I definitely think that's a good place to start. But once you're there, once you have at least some bit of a presence, I think you can do some other cool things like maybe do a giveaway, right? So I'm working with a brand right now. We brought up from nothing, from zero followers. We did some influencer marketing for them. We got people talking about their brand and now they're doing a giveaway, right? So they said, okay, we're going to give away $750 worth of product. And they posted about it and we had other people posting about it. And that's another way to get people aware of the brand. Like, oh, what is this place that's giving away $750 worth of their product? You can start doing all these other things. Okay, now we do email marketing. Why don't we scrape users on social media, get their emails and email them directly and tell them about this giveaway they're doing. So I think a good place to start is to see if if you could partner with someone and have them represent your brand because it's actually surprising how much influence these people have just by having a large social media following. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. 
I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. So how would you recommend someone listening to the show goes about starting a business or a side hustle? Would you recommend that they do something related to social media as well? Anyone with a social media account can make money. And I'll give you an example about that. So example of that. So not too long ago, I said, I want to test the market. I want to make some money on social media. Let's see what I can do. And I found a YouTuber by the name of his YouTube channel is Here Be Bar. And he is a New York City YouTuber. He goes and checks out restaurants and things of that nature and makes videos about it. And I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I work for a digital marketing company that I started. Just curious, like, you know, are, are you monetizing? How much would you charge me to insert something into one of your videos? So like, what's the next video you're doing? And he said, actually, I'm going to go review a lot of rooftop bars. I'm going to make a rooftop bar guide for the summer. And I said, okay, and you can check this guy's YouTube channel. He, he made this video and I had a lot to do with it. I said, okay, how much would it cost if I said, I want you to put my client as one of the rooftop bars there? I want you to inject this bar into, into your video. And he was a little thrown off. He was like, oh, I don't know, maybe X amount of dollars and can't say the price. And I said, okay, sounds great. And I turned around and I wasn't doing any automation or programming or data science. 
conversation. I reached out, found his email on YouTube and reached out to him. I said, okay, great. And I turned around to another rooftop bar, again, just found their email on social media. And I said, hey, you know, I manage a YouTuber. Um, he's doing this video. Some of the rooftop bars he's including are PhD 235th and Mr. Purple, which are the biggest names in New York City. He's got 100,000 subscribers. If you want, I can make you part of this video. It's going to cost you. And I 10x his number. He was very aware. He was okay with me doing that. He was, as long as I brought him his number, he was okay. And I went to these you know, rooftop bars and I 10x his number. And every single one I reached out, he said yes. And if you go and watch this video, a lot of these rooftop bars he has in there are because of me. So he had two or three he was planning to go to and I paid him to put in the rest. And every single one was willing to pay for that promotion. And just like that, I had made myself a bunch of money just by doing that basic work. And that's only one application of this. I found another podcast that interviewed entrepreneurs, actually, coincidentally, a couple months ago. And I said, what if I aggregate a list of entrepreneurs on social media? Would you pay me to do that? So you don't have to do the work and sitting there and finding them all? And he was like, absolutely. And I went out to social media and, and, and this one I used my programming for. And I wrote a script that looked to Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, found entrepreneurs that were successful, aggregated all this information, this metadata, follower count, subscriber count phone number, email, and I gave him that data set. And I said, here you go. And he was super happy. And I, he said, the next one, I not only, you know, how about I pay you a little bit less, but everyone that books with me, I'll give you X percentage of that. And I said, deal. And I had made myself a couple little side hustles without that much effort right there. I was making lives easy on one end. I was getting brands promotion on the other end and everyone seemed to be happy for it. So those are just some, a couple of ideas I came up with and very easily executed on and look, I'm a sales. I own a business. I'm a sales. You know, I have to drive sales. If someone approached me and said, "Hey, can I be your salesperson and take X amount of money off the top?" I'd be like, "Absolutely, go for it." Like, I need business, absolutely. And if if that person can go and find me a bunch of clients and wants a little bit of a founder's fee, like all power to them. I'm I'm very happy with that. I'm now further succeeding as a company. This college kid could be making more money than he wasn't before. And we could have done all of our work through social media. So if you're looking for a side hustle, I think social media is, there's so many opportunities. You can just reach out to a brand and say, how can I help you? If you can make it work, there's plenty of money to be made. And that's basically how my business was born. I took all these little side hustles and I kind of productionalized it, automated it. And, and that's how I came up with my company. So are these opportunities still available today or have they been kind of erased with so many people doing it? Oh, no, there are opportunities are everywhere. I would say where you can find some success is if you reached out to a brand and said, hey, let's run an influencer campaign for your brand. I'm sure they've been reached out to before, but a lot of what they've done are these massive influencer marketing companies that have minimum of a $50,000 budget. And XYZ brand, small brand in New York City say, I can't pay $50,000 to have some cool influencers running my, wearing my stuff, but I, I can pay 5000 And that's where you can step in and say, yeah, you're not going to get the quality of these major companies doing it for you. But there's a, definitely an untapped market of people who can't pay those high numbers to have some social media personality wear their clothing and things like that. So where my company started was actually wanting to be like the Metro PCS of this stuff reaching out to people and saying, you know, I'm not going to have Tiger Woods wearing your shirt, but I will have this former Ohio State basketball player who was in the, you know, the the conversation for MVP, he's still got a following. And uh, he's only 
going to charge you $200 rather than the 2 million Tiger Woods would say. And, and people are all about it. So I think that's a good place to start is not trying to go after these huge brands, these huge companies. They're, they're taken care of. Find people who have a startup that have some marketing money to part ways with. And I think uh, there's a lot of synergy there. What has been the biggest thing you've learned since becoming an entrepreneur? I would say that the biggest thing I learned is that you're no longer can afford to, to slack. So there are days where I'm, I'm sure anyone with a typical job can say, I wasn't that productive today. I had a lot on my mind. I'll pick it up tomorrow. Or you know, this week wasn't a good week for me. I'll pick it up next week. You know, if I have something that's bothering me, that's going to be an obstacle for me, like I need to get that covered. If I don't do my best, I'm not you know, going to be able to put food on the table, which I think is going to really help me whether this entrepreneurial venture of mine works out or I have to go back to a standard job where I've gotten really good at separating these external issues from my work. Because if I don't perform at least to the best of my capability, I have no one to blame for myself. Whereas in the past, I could have had a bad day, but at the end of two weeks, my paycheck's coming in. So one of the biggest things I've learned is to kind of separate the outside world from my work. Nowadays, when I go to the gym, I put my phone on airplane mode. I never used to do that. But I know that if I don't get some exercise in without any distractions, I'm going to be all pent up the rest of the day. I've gotten really good at separating all these things and making sure they don't interfere with my work because at the, I have no one to blame but myself when I, I can't pay my rent. So say that's the biggest thing I've learned. If you were able to go back and do certain things over again, what would you do differently? When I started my career, I visioned that I would be some sort of liaison between the technical world and the non-technical world because I like to sit behind a computer and code. I was a math major, but I also like getting up in front of people and speaking. You could put me in front of a crowd of a million people. Not saying I would kill it, but I wouldn't be scared. And I felt like that was a unique skill set I had, and I really tried to exploit it. But what I really should have done is step back and focused on the things I wasn't good at, I, I should have stepped back a little bit more and said, you know what, I kind of don't love sitting behind a computer 24-7. But I, if I really, really, really learn how to program right now, then I'm going to be able to extrapolate that in the future. But I think I passed up on some opportunities to learn some cool machine learning concepts, do some cool AI things, because you know I wanted to be on that sales pitch instead. I wanted to do both. I should have just put my foot down and, and suffered through the, the hard things the tough things that I didn't want to do a little bit more. But because then when I did want to do my own thing, I would have that knowledge where I have to figure out a lot and I had those opportunities. And I didn't want to be that stereotypical software engineer who never saw the light of day. But I kind of should have just forced myself to suffer through it a little bit more because now I'm not that software engineer who doesn't see the light of day. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not only coding, I'm getting up in front of people, I'm selling things, I'm pitching things, I'm talking to people. And it's taking me longer to program something than it would have if I've just really learned that skill and perfected it. So that's one thing I would change if I could go back. What is the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who is interested in starting their own business or side hustles similar to like what you've done? I'm sure every entrepreneur says this, and you've heard this a hundred times before, but you really don't get it until you're in that position. And I'm sure you've heard it. You hear, don't do it for the money. Don't do it because you think you're going to cash out and end up a Silicon Valley tycoon one day. Don't do it so you can't have a ball. Do it because it brings meaning to you. Because that's when you really start enjoying your work and not begging for the weekend to come around. I know that I built the process that did that and it's very meaningful for me and, and the money isn't the top of my mind. So 
my number one advice is forget about the money, forget about the glory that you think is going to come with it. It's actually very tough. You don't know what your next paycheck is going to look like. Lose that preconceived notion that it's glorious and, and awesome and you're an entrepreneur. Find something you're passionate about. Find something that's going to make you smile. That's what's going to keep you going. And, and it's not all about those other things you always hear. It's, it's about the things that you enjoy doing. So that would be my number one piece of advice. It's about all those things that you don't get to see on social media. It's all those things you don't see behind the Instagram post. Exactly. Yes. Chris, thanks so much for your time. I think this conversation is going to provide a lot of insight into a lot of different things that we talked about that I know the audience is going to be interested in. I know, I know it did for me. Where can the people listening to the show today go to connect with you and learn more about Digital Presence? I encourage everyone to go check out a website, digitalpresence.com. It's P-R-E-V-E-N-C-E, digitalpresence.com. And, and there's an About Me page with links to all my social media, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, my, my Medium, if people want to read some more, and my other founders as well. So definitely anyone that happens to listen to this, feel free to reach out. I'll be sure to put links to Chris's resources in the show notes. You guys can go check it out. I'll also put links to various different things that we talked about throughout the show, as well as some books that relate to the topics that we talked about in the show notes. You guys can go check those out as well. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.